This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Hi, this is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of international kick-ass international thrillers and this is the taylor stevens show with my good friend steve campbell where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time taylor it's november 13th your deadline has passed how are you feeling (laughs) first of all (laughs) that's cruel wasn't it it hasn't (laughs) passed because technically it's on the 16th but (laughs) we're recording this early and steve is just teasing me I'm cheating, but next week we will. I will be able to ask you that question, and I'm excited to hear the answer. Yeah, me kind of too, maybe. All right, uh, <laughs> we've, we've got an interesting topic for today. At least I hope it will be interesting to you guys out there. And it's essentially how do you identify the parts of your writing that are the most difficult for you? So that's the topic. So, Steve, how do you identify the parts of writing that are most difficult for you? Well, I have a very simple process for for doing that. First off, I congratulate myself for being brilliant, and then I send what I'm working on to you, and you (laughs) identify the things that I should know (laughs) are difficult for me. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's awesome. But for those... For those of us who can't just email you a manuscript and say, hey, uh, send me an email back and let me know how brilliant I am, how that's, that's going to actually be the topic of the show, is figuring out ways to, to recognize at, at what, what needs work. You know, I think your brilliance actually really hits on a point of that, and that often we can't see it right. on our own. Because mm-hmm. if we could see it, then we could just... Well, sometimes we see it and we don't know how to fix it, but oftentimes not seeing it is the biggest problem. I think um, maybe one way is when you find yourself avoiding it or skipping over stuff because you just, ah, it's okay. I don't, I don't really need to work on that. That's fine the way it is. Um, I, I would think that for the most part, when something's really hard, we know instinctually because we try and avoid it, which for me is the whole writing process. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hence think, the deadline pressure. Yes. Um, not taking shortcuts. If you find yourself trying to take a shortcut because something is too hard, then it's probably a sign that you need to work on that. If you find yourself, uh, like we talked about last week, you know, finding the right words for things, finding the right description. If you find yourself just breezing over those and going, ah, you know, it's good enough. Well, yeah, you know, far be it for me to tell somebody, you know, do it the hard way. It very well could be good enough. But if you are trying to improve, if that's actually your goal, uh, trying to give your writing more depth and more texture and uh, a little more literary weight, then the stuff that you're skipping over is probably the stuff that you need to focus on. One of the things that, that occurs to me uh, 
to be able to identify the things that you're not good at or that you could stand some work with is to be willing to accept that it's possible first uh, because some people are to not be good enough already or possible to get better both both because some people and we've both seen people who will send something out and just assume that it's brilliant and if there if there's any pushback at all it's somebody else's fault it's not their fault and the person who's offering the advice is an idiot yeah so you have to be able to whether you're working as part of a writers group or you have beta readers or you have a first reader or you know someone that's not your mother reading the story and offering feedback is you have to be willing to take the feedback. It may or may not be right, but you have to be willing to consider that it could be right. Yeah, and- that's a difficult one for me, though. It really is. I mean, conceptually, you're 100% correct. But knowing myself and the way that I respond to feedback, um, just because the way that I was raised where I was never good enough, is that um, the inner child protects itself from shutting down by not putting anything out for feedback mm-hmm. until feedback almost doesn't matter anymore. But I'm also my harshest critic. Um, so I think if you're going to not put stuff out for feedback, you have to be a better critic than anybody else that's out there. <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about specific things that I, because it's all about me, that I oh, that's so much better. Yes, can stand that to get better at. One of the things that we have discussed multiple times, not only on this show, but off air as well, is character motivation. Why is this character doing this? And that's something that I know I have trouble with. And I think about it when I'm writing activities, I know I'm still not good enough at it, but I'm at least aware of it now, where a year and a half ago, I wasn't aware of it. I would just think that what I was doing was fine. Another thing that I am not good at, but I should be, from having listened to this show and produced this show for as long as I have, is clearly identifying the inciting incident. And you yourself mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you had a trouble with that in in this book. I, I don't know whether it's the one you're working on now or uh, the previous book. It was with Liar's Paradox. Yeah. But it's like you you reached a point where you just realized I I whiffed on this whole inciting incident thing. Yeah, which goes to show that you can actually be good at it and still be bad at it. So you know it's a it's not like you attain and then never have to deal with it again. Another thing for me is character voice and dialogue my characters have a tendency to sound alike whether they're male female um, rich poor they tend to sound alike and it's difficult for me to get them to sound differently but by being aware of these things you can work on them but you're working on them when you're writing and you're in a writing flow and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then you go back, and we've we've talked multiple times about your process for going through drafts. Mine is different than yours. 
but I do like to have one complete pass that's just dialogue based on something that you told me a couple of years ago to just go through and just read the dialogue, read it out loud and read all of it. And when you do that, it's like, oh my God, nobody talks like that. (laughs) (laughs) And then other times I'll go, oh, okay, this is good. This, this part of it sounds, sounds good. But none of that, I, I haven't come up with any of that on my own. It's, it's always been, uh, based on feedback from other people. So for me, I don't know that I could sit down with a manuscript the way you do and just work on it and work on it and work on it and work on it and see all of the things that need to be fixed. I need outside advice. I, I get that. Um, you know, it's easy for me sometimes to forget that not everybody has my ear and it sounds so conceited for me to say that I feel awful, but you know, people often come to me asking about Monroe, you know, she's like speaks all of these languages and, you know, and they're like, is there, is she partially made on built after you? And, you know, no, of course not. But the question asked, forced me to think about it a lot. And if there's anything about Monroe's gift for languages that I share with her is an innate ability to hear the cadence and the way that words fit together on the page. And so for someone like me that had that innate ability, it's not, it's okay to, to just sit there and work at it and work at it and work at it. And then I, I'll, I'll find the problems and I'm terrified of somebody else finding those problems before I do which does make editing and copy editing quite brutal for me. And I don't argue with them about it because I know they're right, but I feel like I should have seen those things first, except for all the commas and stuff like that. Um, so it, my advice about, you know, oh, you know, you should be able to just see it, that, that doesn't, doesn't work for everybody like that, like you're saying. And so... Um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I don't, other people should not hold themselves to my standards. I, my brain clearly does not work the same way most people does in some unfortunate ways as well as fortunate ones. Um, so yes, feedback in that sense can be good. My caution always is just be careful who you're getting it from because some people will try and tear you down for no other reason than they just don't want you to succeed because of envy or jealousy or they don't think you deserve it or whatever. So yes, learning, learning your weaknesses is key to growing. And sometimes you only can find them through other people's uh, observations or criticism and uh, the, to being able to accept that. And one other thing is that you learn quite a bit as you go through this, especially when you have books that have already been published, that lots of people are quite happy to tell you what you should have done instead. But unless they're actually personally invested in the outcome of the book, uh, they probably don't know what they're talking about. But the fact that they spotted something, that might very well be absolutely accurate. So 
what I've learned to do is skip the advice itself and look at the issue and then figure out my own solution to that issue. Because unless they are actively involved in writing this book, the suggestions are probably not going to work. And I find that that's true, not just of beta readers or, um, you know, people who've read it after the fact. I've found that that's actually often the case even with agents and editors. Like the editor can see that there's something wrong and might suggest how to fix it. And I will often drop off the suggestion and just go, there's something wrong. I need to figure out how to fix it because the suggestion just wasn't going to work in that particular instance. So I've probably just totally muddied the issue here, and I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> All right. Well, something else that occurs to me, we have, we have talked a lot in the past on this show about how difficult building a complex story is for you. You're really good at it. And your fans have come to expect it, but it's really hard. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to make an analogy. When you watch golf on Sundays or football or, you know, whatever, I'm, you, and I know you, Taylor, watch neither of these. But that's, <laughs> You're like, uh, which you are since, we talking about since That's all I actually watch are sports. Um, when I'm watching those shows, I constantly see ads for these new gizmos, devices, uh, whirly gigs that will relieve pain. Hmm. And everyone has pain. And so there are plenty of solutions for solving that pain. So one of the pains that we have as authors is story building. And I constantly see online and other places software to build a story. Um, hmm. a checklist to build a story, a book on exactly what to do to build a story. And they're all, maybe they're all useful. They might be, but it just goes to show how difficult that is for everybody. So that's obviously a pain point for lots of, of writers. And you mentioned earlier the idea of either skipping it or not paying attention to it as a way of kind of glossing over the fact that you're not good at something. And if story building is a problem, it might be really easy to just say, oh, you know, I'm a panster. So right. I just kind of let it fly. And then you get to the end of the story and you go, wow, I don't really have a story here. I've got to do something. And then all of these other solutions look like, oh, this is what I need, instead of just learning how to build a story. Right. I totally see where you're coming with that. Um, you're right. Story building is hard. It absolutely is. That is, I guess there's a few key areas in writing that you can't afford to take shortcuts. Story building is one. Character development is another. Um, and then, you know, things like dialogue or, you know, plot, those tend to fall under one or the other dialogue would fall under character development and plot would fall under story building. Um, I've done it both ways. You know, I wrote the information is by the seat of my pants and that's what taught me that I didn't like doing it that way. I, I much preferred to kind of know where the story was going, but I still do a lot of pantsing, even though I have an outline building the stories out, a lot of character development stuff comes from that. But one of the things that does make it so hard or I guess 
time-consuming. And, and this is one of the things that gave me such a sense of panic when I realized I had to get five months of writing into one and a half months. It wasn't the writing that scared me. It was making sure that I didn't miss those key things, the, the story issues, the character interactions, the small things that are almost invisible as you're reading it, but that allow you to feel the story as you go. The idea that I would put a story out like that, that I, that I didn't feel was ready, even though the plot was fine and the story held together, all the little tiny strands that, that weave it together into a three-dimensional, you've got these three-dimensional characters. That's really hard to do, and it's time-consuming. And the reason why I don't want to skip on that is because those are the things that make a story so dry and have people calling out, calling you out on, you know, oh, this character, I just didn't understand this character's motivations and, and the, the characters felt cardboard to me or whatever. That's all a subset of skipping the hard stuff. But having a problem with something and knowing that you need improvement with something is not necessarily a reason to stop. No, that's the reason to go, let's keep working on it. Um, I mean, of course, you can get to a point where nothing, you always see something that needs improvement, and then it becomes self-defeating because you never stop trying to improve and you go past the point of, you know, diminishing returns on your time. But to be able to go, okay, I'm really struggling here with a, a plot that is fascinating to me, but doesn't really fit this so-called story structure that, you know, maybe a machine would spit out for mm -hmm. you. Um, you've got to make that call of what, you know, why is this working? Is this not working? That's what requires really stepping back. And if, if someone is going to just do the easy stuff and not the hard stuff, they're not going to take that step back. Because if you take that step back, it requires time. It re requires a lot of deep analytical thought of looking at the whole big picture. And if you just want to get the story done and move on to the next thing, then you're just, you're not going to do it. And so those are the types of decisions that when, when you're really putting in that work on the book, you might look at that whole structure and go, okay, this, this, and this, they work. But this other thing here is really out of place. And a part of you is just going to groan, just like, oh, my God, no, I don't have time to go rewrite that or pull that out. And so, I mean, that's why I much prefer plotting now, because it saves mm -hmm. you from a lot of that. But you still, if, if you really want to do the hard work and not cheat and not um, skip over the difficult things, there's so many different layers of pulling the story apart and really looking at it and making sure you've got your story structure tight, making sure your character motivation is solid, making sure. And those, those are almost even more important than making sure the dialogue isn't stilted because we can work with dialogue. Dialogue is really easy to tweak and just fix or whatever. It's those bigger, deeper things that are underlying the story that make it what it is. That's got to be right. And if you're, you know, three quarters of the way through writing your story 
and you start to get this inkling like this might not be working and you're like, ah, screw it. And you just keep going and finish it good enough and, you know, I'll just polish it and send it. Then you've just cheated yourself out of what you could what could be your best. You've you've been OK with submitting what you know in your gut is not your best work, which for some people, that's really OK, because that's all they want to do. And that's not a judgment. That's not like saying they're lesser. But our discussion was, how do you know how do you recognize what you're not good at and then how do you improve it? So that's kind of what we're focusing on. If if you're OK with not improving and you just want to tell stories as, you know, kind of rough them out and give them the basics and then be done with it and that's your goal and that's OK. But for those who want to improve and that improvement is their goal, then back to kind of where this discussion got started, when you feel yourself groaning and going, no, I don't want to, oh God, I just can just skip over that. That's usually your indication of where you need to start digging. (laughs) And that's a great spot for us to close. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. When we come back next week, we're really going to be able to ask Taylor how she feels now that the manuscript is off her desk and on someone else's. And watch Taylor go to Steve and go, hey, Steve, uh, let's just skip podcasting this week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sleep for two weeks. (laughs) Oh, and then the other thing we can ask Taylor, which there's no way I'm going to do until her deadline pressure has passed, is when are we going to get back to that hack the craft stuff that you were working on for me? Gosh, but it really it really depends, though, Steve. I know you weren't going to ask me about it. but No, I mean, I'm not going to ask you about it. There's I'm going to give you no an way. answer anyway, <laughs> which is it, it really depends on how much work I get done over these next few weeks and how tight this draft is that I submit, because it's possible that I'm going to be continuing this no moving muscle atrophy <laughs> schedule for, all the way through Christmas. So we'll see. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine the 19 hours a day laying down plus the other five hours a day of sleep laying down. What, you ra- only sleep mixed for up, five hours? Mixed up with holidays, <laughs> with holiday eating. That's going to be awesome. Well, my goal is to not go crazy on the holiday eating. I'm going to really do my best to stay off the sugar and absolutely still limit my carbs, and I may be able to break even. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Tune in again next week, and we'll find out what we find out. Yeah, we'll see what happens, guys. See you there.